that's, that's the free part this morning. The title of the message this morning is called The Pattern and the Power. Say it with me, The Pattern and the Power. Our series text is John chapter 4, verse 24. The Bible says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's the title of our series. We're six weeks in today, Spirit and Truth. Our message text is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. The Bible says, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. King James says a living soul. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Now, this is a biblical understanding here that in the two covenants, we have a federal head in both. The federal head of the old covenant, the Old Testament, that that was before Christ, that that was B.C., is Adam. Adam sinned, plunged everything on the planet under the conditions of the curse of the law of sin and death. But the last Adam, now notice that Notice it's not just the next one in line, but it's the last Adam. He came to make a lasting end to the first Adam, and his name is Jesus. He is the perfect man. Where Adam blew it in a perfect environment, in a garden filled with everything that he would ever need or ever want, Jesus came along and in a wilderness experience was able to put every sin down, every temptation. He was able to speak the word of the Lord to every tempting Uh, thought that the enemy would bring. He would say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He declared, worship the Lord your God and him only thou shalt serve. And the three levels of temptation that he had when he was fasting 40 days and the enemy took him to the pinnacle of the temple. He he, he showed him the kingdoms of the world. He's tried to get him to, to use his miraculous power to turn a stone into bread. He quoted the scripture three times and defeated the enemy in spiritual temptation, soulish temptation, and temptation for his own body. Jesus defeated the enemy and stood against the power of sin in an imperfect environment. What Adam couldn't do in a perfect world, Jesus did in an imperfect world to turn it around. How many of you know he holds your world in his hands? Come on, somebody. The last Adam that is Christ is a life-giving spirit. What comes first and I don't have this emboldened, so I'm going to use my little pointer. I, I like to do this. It's kind of cool. What comes first is, the, everybody say, the natural body. And then what comes next? Then the spiritual body. Okay, so we have first the natural, then afterward that which is spiritual. The whole Old Covenant was all about a natural, literal understanding. There was a natural priesthood. You had to be born of a certain tribe. How you were born mattered. You had to be a part of the tribe of Levi. There was a natural sacrifice. It was natural blood of a bull or a goat or a dove, a ram, a lamb, all very specific natural sacrifices. It was a natural tabernacle. It was a natural temple. All of these things were natural pictures of what God was going to do in the new covenant in Jesus Christ, who became the fulfillment of all of those things. First the natural, then afterward that which is spiritual. Now, you know what? There still is a priesthood in the New Testament, and it matters how you're born, but it's not a natural lineage of Levi, but it matters whether you've been born again. Come on, somebody, by the Spirit. And we are 
a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. We are a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter chapter 2 says, there is a spiritual temple. It's not a natural temple anymore. We are the spiritual temple. We are the house of God. Come on, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We together collectively are the temple of, the, of God. Hallelujah. That's what Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. But we all fitly frame together, grow into a holy temple in the Lord. And so it's not a natural temple like it was in the old covenant, but now it's a spiritual temple. They're not natural sacrifices anymore of the blood of bulls and goats and rams and doves, but now it's the sacrifice of praise. It's the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's the sacrifice of worship. What is it for uh, Hebrews chapter 13? This is not, none of this is in my message. It's just an inspiration that began to flow as I stood up here and started to speak. Hebrews 13, 15 says, uh, uh, for to do good and communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He says, he says, the words of our mouth, we are to communicate. And literally, the sacrifice of praise, he, he creates the fruit of our lips. We speak and we declare and we give praise and we give thanksgiving and we give worship. So first comes the natural, first comes the natural, and then the spiritual. Everybody say, first the natural, and then the spiritual. Here comes verse 47. Um, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. King James says, the Lord from heaven. Verse 48, earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Are you hearing that this morning? One more verse. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday, we shall be like the heavenly man. Now, we are being made like him right now. That will culminate when we see him face to face. Either when I pass from this life into the next one, or when he comes back and all flesh see him return in the glory of the Lord. As a New Testament church, we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We believe that he will come and the end will be declared and he will give the kingdom to the Father and all will be under his feet is what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is the hope that we have. That is, that is the purpose to which God is moving. That is the reason why spirit and truth are moving and working together in your life. Last week we went micro... We went down into your heart and your soul. We talked about the man in the mirror that we look at, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This morning, we're going to go macro. We're going to blow it out until we recognize that there will come a time that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The scripture says in Numbers chapter 14, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, the whole earth shall be filled with my glory. Come on, everybody say God's glory. Put your hands together. Give him praise. Now, God's doing that in you. He's working in us. He is working in a people. And we are the people that are called of God. One thing I want to bring this morning quickly, God's plan to renew all things is revealed in the pattern of the word and the power of the spirit. The word is truth. So we're talking about spirit and truth. 
God's plan to renew all things is revealed in the pattern of the Word and the power of the Spirit. Look at one of the the walls and read it with me, please. Come on, everybody. God's plan to renew all things is revealed in the pattern of the Word and the power of the Spirit. Like you really mean it. One last time. God's plan to renew all things is revealed in the pattern of the Word and in the power of the Spirit. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the promises of God that you have given to us. Lord, I'm reminded even in this moment, 2 Corinthians 7, the the writer says, since we have these precious promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Lord, today, thank you for the promises of God. Thank you for the foretaste that you've given to us by the Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of us. Thank you that Colossians 1 says that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, the hope of a coming glory. We have a hope inside us, a hope that is alive. Thank you, Lord, that my testimony is that I have hope. Lord, for a season I couldn't say that, but God, I thank you for fresh hope. I thank you for hope in the hearts of this people. Thank you for the hope in the heart of somebody in this room this morning who thought their situation was hopeless. You inject hope. You bring courage. You set a new expectation into their hearts. Help us today that we recognize that your plan is to renew all things. Help us, oh God, to see how you have called us to participate and to be a part of that. We give you our hearts. We ask you to speak to us today, Lord, and teach us. We surrender. Be Lord of our lives. Be Lord of my thoughts and these words Be Lord of our hearts as we hear. Let us listen for the voice within the voice. O Christ of God, speak to us today, Jesus, in this place. We'll be careful to give you the praise. Everybody said amen. Amen. Two points, two points this morning that I want to bring. The first one is this idea of creation. As New Testament believers, we affirm that God is the maker of heaven and earth. We believe in God's word. We are not here to pit a religious conviction, a spiritual book authored by the Holy Spirit against what the current science is. Notice that I had to say current because it's always changing. We are always growing. We we are not poo-pooing. We're not minimizing the importance of science. And I don't believe that they should ever necessarily be in conflict ever since the Enlightenment period, where the intention was to remove faith from the centrality of the lives of people and replace it with reason, there has been a, a rising conflict from a classical worldview into an Enlightenment worldview. And in some ways, we have never achieved the, the Enlightenment that we were supposed to have gotten. Timothy says that there are people who are ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There are some things that we can be confident in. I don't know how God did what he did, but I know that God did it. I I, I won't argue with you over whether it was seven 24-hour periods or whether it was epochs of time. Um, I have a personal conviction myself I won't make that an issue because I think that is a non-essential. I don't think that makes a difference in my salvation and yours as to whether or not you believe that it was millions of years that God did it or whether it was seven 24-hour periods. 
Personally, I subscribe to seven 24-hour days, but I'll dwell in the, in, in the, 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 the tent of the brethren with you if, if you see things a little differently about that. Because the fact of the matter is that we just don't know. Come on, somebody. Can we be honest and admit it? And, and now there are folks that are real hardliners about that on either side. And I just want to tell you, I want to stand in the middle and reach to both sides and go, folks, there are a whole lot of issues that are way bigger and more important than those. But we affirm the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so those 12 statements of the Apostles' Creed, we believe at victory, are the irreducible minimums of the faith. You cannot reduce this down. It's already at the lowest common denominator. These statements, if you don't believe them, with all due respect, you are not by any means, by definition, a Christian. You may be spiritual. You may believe in in some kind of life force or whatever. You may believe in God and don't have it named or whatever, and that's fine. You're welcome here. We, we offer a, a, a safe place where people can come and ask questions. You don't have to just jump into everything in the first week. You don't have to jump into everything the first year. But we, we want you to be open. We want you to seek the face of God. We, we, we want to we be open to what the Word says and what the Spirit is doing. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise creation. First, the natural. God gave us an earth. He gave us seas and sky and seeds and plants and trees. And every seed-bearing plant was what God's gift to Adam and Eve were in the garden. I believe in a first man and a first woman. Uh, literally, science, DNA, since the discovery of, of this molecular level of encoding that we have on the inside of us, it is all of it is traced back to one central, what scientists refer to now as an Eve, a mother of all living, of all human race. And um, it, it's amazing that the farther we go out, sometimes the more in agreement we come together in terms of what the Word says and what science is proving. We affirm the Scripture. We affirm that God is Creator. We, we, give, we understand that God gave us first the natural and then afterward that which is spiritual. Um, some folk got upset a few years ago when the Hubble telescope discovery uh, came out with what was referred to as the Big Bang Theory. And I'll just tell you, I have no problem whatsoever with the Big Bang because when God spoke, it was a bang, all right. Boom. But the ultimate question comes from, where did the original material that everything banged out of come from? Obviously, there is, the universe is not God. The, 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 the creation is not God. There is a creator who gave us everything that we have. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, listen, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. King James says darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Everybody say spirit over water. Now this is what I want you to see. This is wind over water. This is a principle that you see in the Word of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said what? Everybody say it. Let there be light and there was light. So what I want you to see first of all is that in the Initial creation, we've got three things here that I want to grab a hold of. The first one is this. We have wind over water. Everybody say wind 
over water. Now, this is the picture of the Spirit of God hovering over creation to begin to form. Genesis chapter 1 is about creation. Genesis chapter 2 is about formation. Okay? And so what God is doing is taking the elements that he has created and now he is forming them. It's, it's not until this, uh, when God says together and let us make man in our image, then we begin to see how he actually, he creates, but then he forms man from the dust of the ground is what the scripture further elaborates on. But before he does that, God is already hovering over. God as the heavenly chest maker always makes the first move. You were here this morning not because you decided to be here. Maybe you've just wandered into victory and thought you just sort of landed here. How did I end up here? You know what? You ended up here because God started first and drew you. He drew you. He put a hunger in your heart. He created a frustration, a divine discontentment, a dissatisfaction with something that says, I, I'm hungry. There's something on the inside of me that, that food won't feed that sleep won't get rid of, that sex won't answer, that relationships won't deal with, but there's something in the inside of me that is longing for to be filled. It was, it was Augustine, the African-American bishop, not African-American, I'm sorry, the African bishop. <laughs> so used to putting those two together. The African bishop of the fourth century, Bishop of Hippo, uh, Augustine, who said that we are made for your purpose and in your image and we are not satisfied until we are filled, until we find our rest in you, until we are filled with you. In other words, God creates a God-shaped vacuum on the inside of you, and it's not satisfied until it's filled with what it was made to be filled with, until it's filled with God himself. Somebody say amen. And so God is hovering. He's moving. He's drawing. He's working. He's preparing. He, he is... He, he is, he's, he's nudging you with a thought or an idea or a, a yearning, a hunger, something that can't be fulfilled with, with all of the wonderful blessings that the earth gives. There's, there's something beyond. There's something transcendent. There's something of the Spirit that, I, that I'm yearning for. And so it's the Spirit of God. It's the wind over the water. It is the Spirit preparing me. And notice that as these two elements, the Spirit and truth, begin to work together, it's not just to have the, enough to have the Spirit draw me, but then I need to hear a declaration. There needs to be some words spoken. Your life has been changed because the Spirit of God moved in your life first and then the word of the gospel penetrated in your darkness. God said next, let there be light and light was. And so the next thing we have is God said and that is truth speaking. Everybody say truth speaking. So we've got spirit preparing and we've got truth Speaking, we see a pattern here, the pattern of the word. And the power is when we recognize the pattern of what God is doing in our lives. As Bible students, theologians give us these four big categorical ideas in Scripture. In the Scripture, I, I'm going to use a literary term, the narrative, the meta-narrative of Scripture comes in four ideas. Creation, as we're talking about this morning. We don't get three chapters in until here comes this slithering, speaking snake and the temptation that is elicited by listening to the, the subtle snake. And Eve and Adam together enter in and disobey what God said and eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't an apple. 
And there was nothing magical about the fruit hanging on the tree. It wasn't a poisonous apple like Snow White that slept a sleep of death until she was kissed by a prince. But I want you to recognize this morning that it was all about disobedience. It was disobeying what God said. Everything in this whole created order is all yours for your use and your enjoyment. But the one tree in the middle of the garden, God said, that's mine. Leave it alone. It's not for you. Millions of species, choices galore all around us. A plethora of every taste and delectable thing. Animals and plants and every wonderful thing that you could possibly ever enjoy are all around. But one thing, God says, that's mine. Leave it alone. And guess what human nature always does? We start hanging around the edge of the tree and checking it out and go, I wonder what that fruit right there tastes like. And that's the, that's the notion that is the structure of how temptation works. And so they disobey and they commit high treason. It's the act of disobedience. It's not the juice from the fruit that ran down over their chin that caused sin to enter. It was the determination to disobey what God said don't do, and they did it anyway. Come on, somebody. And so original sin enters in, and we have what we call the fall. Man falls. He falls from the place of fellowship with God, and he immediately covers himself. He, he tries to sew together some fig leaves, and fig leaves speak of religious persuasion. Notice it's, it's I, I, now I, I, I can't imagine standing in front of you this morning and trying to shoddily sew together a few fig leaves to cover up the necessaries today. Can you imagine? Don't, don't try to imagine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I even said that. Not a good choice of words. Uh, but sewing fig leaves, which, which, which don't cover adequately, um, in order to just be, and you notice, remember, the fig tree is the the picture or the sign or the symbol of Israel. It's the very thing that, it's the only tree that Jesus ever cursed. He cursed the fig tree because there was no fruit on it. Had a lot of foliage, had a lot of religious uh, greenery about it, but there was no life. There was no fruit. There was no production. Religious can look good, but there's no fruit that'll, that'll satisfy you. Come on, somebody. And so Jesus goes with his disciples and he said, no man shall ever eat fruit from you forever from now on. And the next day they come back by and Peter says, there's that tree you cursed yesterday and it was already withered, the scripture says, from the root up. And that's a whole different message in itself. That's what religion will do for you. And in the fall, we were separated. They covered, they hid, they hid, they were scared and God comes walking, the scripture says, in the cool of the day, the, the Hebrew says, in the spirit of the day and he's walking with them and he says, Adam, where are you? Uh, remember, when God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't already know the answer. Adam knew exactly where he was. It was, a, it was not a GPS question of where in the garden are you located. He's saying, where are you? Because I feel there's a breach between us. Where are you in your relationship with me? Where are you, Adam? And he says, I hid because we were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? How many of you know when you give in to the temptation of the enemy, you're going to get told some things that are a lie from the devil. God, he lost the covering of glory. He lost the covering of glory. And Christ has come that we could get that glory back. Come on, somebody, say amen. And so there's creation, there's fall, there's redemption. Jesus comes and lifts us up out of the pit. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. We were in the pit of sin. We were in the miry clay, and he is brought us up out of the pit and set our feet upon a rock and established our goings and many shall see the song of the Lord that is in me and fear and believe. Hallelujah. David said in Psalm 40, 
the, the, the other idea that we forget about. So much of evangelical Christianity preaches the fall and the redemption. We don't go back and get the creation and we don't deal with the restoration. We just preach the middle two. And there are bookends on both sides that are critical because creation gives me a sense of purpose and restoration shows me what God is intending to do with my life. He doesn't just want to forgive me and slap a bumper sticker on my car that says, oh, it's okay, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Which to me is a lame excuse to stay in the mess you're in. God wants you to get delivered and get set free. Yes, you are forgiven. Thank God for forgiveness. But that's a reason why is to bring you to a place of fully getting victory over what you had to get forgiveness for. We don't have to stay in destructive patterns of behavior. We don't have to stay addicts all of our lives. We don't have to stay captives and in bondage. We can get free from patterns of sin that will kill you. Come on, somebody. Creation, fall, redemption. Redemption is when Jesus came and the cross changed everything. And he hung on that cross, the godly suffering for the ungodly, the just in the place of the unjust. He is my substitute. He took my place. Everything I deserve, he took upon himself. And thank God for that. But he didn't just redeem me. Now he has begun the new creation process of restoring me. Everything that the enemy stole I was in the gym working out yesterday. I'm thankful to finally, finally, finally have the energy to have had. I've had a month of, of workouts every week, and I'm, I'm down about 12 pounds, and I'm excited about it, and, and I feel good. I feel better than I've ever felt. I've got hope like I've never had before. I got five workouts in this week and five last week and four the week before that, and I'm excited. I feel great, and I'm charged up. And somebody said, how are you doing? And I said, you know, it took me 18 months to even catch my breath. I was numb. It took me two years to be able to just begin to catch a glimmer of hope. But you know what? I've got hope now. I've got hope because Jesus is going to work it out. Jesus is going to work it out. And I was, I was in the gym listening to, was Dorinda Clark Cole said, everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I, I, I love all kinds of music, but when I need to be motivated, I got to get me some black gospel. I got to get me something that makes me want to do this. And I'm in the gym, and I was working arms yesterday, and I had it by myself, and I was saying, hey, everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me, giving it back, giving it back, giving it back, giving it back to me. I want to tell you right now, somebody came in this room this morning who thought your situation was hopeless. But if God is in it, there are no limits. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. He will heal your brokenness. Because his intention is to restore you. Everything that the devil stole, God's given it back to me. Come on, come on, somebody. The new creation is first the natural and the creation, and then the new creation is then the spiritual. The new creation began on Resurrection Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus resurrected, conquered sin came up out of the grave. Death is under his feet. Sin is no more. And his, what never was a part of his life, but he's completely conquered it. He's, he has overcome the curse. He became a curse for us. Swallowed it up, died, took it to the grave, got back up out of the grave alive and left the curse and the sin and the death in the ground. 
It was the great hymn writer that said on resurrection or at the cross, death died and life sprang forth. Revelation chapter 21 verse 5 says this, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, read it out loud with me, look, I am making everything new. King James says, I'm making all things new. He says, and then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. King James says, faithful and true. I am making all things new. God has the wherewithal and the power and the ability and the strength to decree it and declare it, wipe it all out and just start over and make all new things. But that's not how he chose that he was going to do it. He says, I, he, he didn't say I'm making all new things. He says, I'm making all things new. Now, I don't know if you're hearing me yet this morning, but just hang with me. You will. Come on. I want you to hear this morning that when he says, I'm making all things new, that means he's taking the broken, jacked up mess in your life. He, he has visited the consignment shop where everything's broken down and not working, and he looks around for pieces and he looks at the fragmented situation in your life, in your relationships, and in your health, and in your finances. Come on, I'm trying to strengthen you a little bit this morning and preach some faith on the inside of you because God says, I'm going to take all the mess, everything that's broken, and I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to renew it. I'm going to eventually give you a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. The intention is not just to do it in you individually, but it's to do it in the whole created order. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, it begins with a new perspective. It begins with a new sight so that you start to see the world in a different way. It begins with the awareness that God is in charge and He is large and He is uh, available and He is able. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But do, does He have a people of faith that will trust Him that know that nothing is impossible if we will only believe? Look at your neighbor and say, believe. I want to take time to read the verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is Revelation 21. The verses before, verse 5, they don't have it on the screen. Just listen. For the old heaven and the old earth, earth had disappeared. King James says, passed away. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Isn't that interesting? So interesting that most of southern churchianity tells us we're going to the new Jerusalem, but the Bible says it's coming to us. Did y'all see that? you hear that? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride. Like a bride. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. We're talking about the bride of Christ. Who is the bride of Christ? Everybody say, we are. This says the bride is the new city. We are the, we are the new Jerusalem of God. We are the city of God. Jesus said that. You're a city on a hill which cannot be hid. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God is, God's home is now among his people he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. In other words, we have become the temple of God because God is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is walking with us. That's been a truth for 2,000 years, folks. How many of you know Emmanuel is here? 
It's not just Jesus' physical body on a throne somewhere in the universe. Jesus is here. He is here. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God who will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, I hadn't had that yet. That's still coming. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We still have that to look forward to. That's in the future. That's part of the new creation that we've not yet seen manifest. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I'm telling you. What I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. Everybody say, it is finished. Tetelestai. Those are the words Jesus declared on the cross. That's that's a truth for 2,000 years now. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Hallelujah! I wouldn't be faithful to Scripture if I didn't get one more verse. Listen, but cowards, cowards, cowards. Can you imagine that? Now, I know the liars, I know the thieves, but cowards. Cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. Lord, help Washington, D.C. And all liars. Lord, help Little Rock, Arkansas. All liars. Lord, help West Memphis and Marion. All liars. Lord, help my house. Lord, all liars. All liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And you know what? Somebody, I think it was Dr. Adrian Rogers, when I was a little kid, I heard him say it this way. Born once, die twice. You're born of Adam. You die a natural death, and you die a spiritual death. But if you're born twice, born of the flesh, and now born again in Christ... You only die once. There is no second death. As a matter of fact, you've already been resurrected. I'm already resurrected spiritually. Jesus raised me from spiritual death. I'm looking for a physical resurrection. What is it? 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. We, we groan to be clothed with our house from heaven. Whether or not there's a street, there's a, a mansion on a golden street is, does not even matter to me. I'm longing for a resurrected body. That's, 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 the, that's the blessing. That is the promise of God. That is Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm longing for a resurrected body with a 32-inch waist. Glory. 46-inch chest, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just joking. I, I'm talking about alive. I'm talking about resurrection life. That's the hope of God. That we would walk in a new planet, a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Could you imagine the work you had to do and there was no miscommunication, there was no strife, there was no backbiting, there was no gossip, there was nobody hurt or offended? Can you imagine being in a world wherein dwells righteousness and walking around in a body and immortality, one with God, hearing the voice of the Lord, declaring the good things of God and doing the works of God in your life? Man, you talk about promises. That's where we're headed. He says, and I just want to say this to you this morning, and I'm I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. This is not a time to quit. There are more people 
in love with Jesus that have been blood-bought on the planet today, alive right now, than there have ever been in all the history of 2,000 years of Christianity. That's how much this thing has grown from one seed when the new creation began the day Jesus got up out of the grave. And 12 disciples and a few followers gathered in an upper room and 120 are there when the Spirit of God is poured out and Peter wobbles out into the streets of Jerusalem and he proclaims the Word of God and 3,000 are immediately swept into the kingdom of God. Two days later, preaching again and 5,000 more were born again. And somewhere in that mix, throughout the decades that rolled into centuries, that became two millennia, God called your name and he called your number and he brought you out of death into marvelous light. And you're a part of an innumerable company now. You're a part of uh, this, this amazing thing called the New Jerusalem. Don't walk out of here and forget who you were. Let me remind you of last week's message. Don't come up in here and look in the mirror of the Word and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and walk out of here and forget what manner of man you are. Don't have a memory lapse this week and slip into temptation and sin. That's what happens when you sin. You forget for just a second who you are. Look at your neighbor and say, remember yourself. Because you're not who you used to be. You're a new creation. You're not the same old person, the same old sinner with a second chance. You're a whole new kind of being. You have Christ on the inside of you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. I just, I don't have time. I had one more scripture, but I'm going to cut it right there. And I just want to say to you, the promises of God that you need to have fulfilled in your life, they're voice activated. You have to speak them. You have to declare the word of the Lord. You have to speak it into existence. I, I have my remote for my cable, and I can push a button, and I'd say, watch the Today Show. Boom, here it comes. I'm driving down the road in my car, and I'd say, call, call Pastor Jeremy. Boom, it calls, because it's voice activated. It's the kind of technology that we're working in today. And folks, if we've got it in the natural, you know God's got something a whole lot more powerful in the spiritual. Promises of God are voice activated. Promises of God for you for healing. Promises of God for you for peace in your life, for direction, for wisdom, for guidance, for provision, forgiveness, whatever you need. This morning as I bring this message to a close, the voice activation you need is to simply say, Jesus, take my heart. Change my life. Be Lord of my life. Fill me, O oh God, with your Holy Spirit. Fill up, O oh Lord, that space, that place in my heart that I'm longing for, what nothing in this world will satisfy. I want to I walk with you. I want to know you, oh God, like I have never known you before. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. God's begun a good work in you. The scripture says he's not going to lay it down and forget.